0: John. That's a um, biography of Jesus' life, one of the four biographies in the Bible, Um, and it's going to be John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. That's John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him.
1: Elliot, thanks very much for uh, reading that for us. Please, if you've got a Bible, just keep it open. If it's on your phone, just... uh, yeah, keep it with you because we're we're going to be referring to it uh, later on, um, as we as we go through and think about what this passage has to say. And um, today is just—it's a great day, isn't it? It's just a really good day. I, I don't know about you—I I was a bit choked up actually, uh, with the stories and uh, and with the baptisms. It was it was brilliant, absolutely fab. And when I saw that Jane was on FaceTime to Amelia as well, that was even just another thing to to add to that. But it, it's a day of celebration. A day of great joy, yes, for Jane and for Helen, but also it's a day when we celebrate together as friends and family. Ian spoke earlier on, didn't he, about the the meaning of baptism, which is why today is a day for great joy. But I wonder, I wonder if celebrations and parties and joy are the kind of words that perhaps people associate with Christianity, Uh, is that and is today the norm or is it actually the exception? Uh, I suspect if I were to play a word association game with my colleagues um, or perhaps people at the school gate, um, I haven't done this, I might add, um, uh, and I'll come to that a bit later on, but um, I wonder if, if I were to play a word association game with them and say, what word would you associate with the word Christian? I wonder what they would come up with. As I say, I don't really know that because I've not asked them. And in part, that's because the weird thing is I find it a lot easier to stand up here and talk to you about Christian things than I do talk to my colleagues that I see every day about Christian things. I wonder, though, what their impression is. I reckon that most people think that Christianity is probably to do with doing stuff. Working hard to be that nice person in the office. Turning up to a whole load of meetings, especially on a Sunday. Maybe kind of giving your money to charity and just being a generally nice but relatively innocuous kind of person. No wonder that they think that Christianity is a bit dull. I had a friend who uh, uh, is now a Christian, thankfully, who said when he was growing up that his sport on a Sunday afternoon was watching Songs of Praise. And laughing at the Christians. That's what he used to do because he thought that was quite fun. Laughing at Christians. Because actually the world thinks that Christianity is nothing to be joyful about. It's just a bit dull and boring. And part of the problem is I reckon that I sometimes give that impression as well. (laughs) Maybe that's the uh, impression that I give people. I do them a disservice because I'm suggesting that Christianity is something that it isn't. So, Jane and Helen, all of us, let's listen up. Because I've really only got one thing to say this afternoon, but it's at the heart of what Christianity is all about. It's actually from the episode in Jesus' Life that we heard earlier on, read by Elliot. And it's this, Jesus Christ is all you need. Jesus Christ is all you need. Uh, the incident that we just had read, didn't we, uh, is pretty well known, as Ian said earlier on. The day that Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, now, Hannah, my daughter, earlier on, um, she w- she was just saying, oh, Dad, what are you preaching on later on? And I said, um, uh, John 2, Ah, oh, is that is that the one where Jesus goes into a pub? Um, <laughs> I said, no, I'm not quite sure. That sounds like a really dodgy joke, doesn't it? Like the... Uh, Yeah, the the fisherman, the tax collector and the Messiah go into a bar. I mean, (laughs) uh, you kind of wonder what the punchline is going to be. But um, it's a story of Jesus turning something dull and mundane into something extravagant and extraordinary and joyful. And maybe that's what it would be lovely to hear about. Jesus turning something mundane and dull into something special and Amazing. Well, why does he do it? Why would he do something like that? Is it because he likes a good party? Maybe. I'm sure he does party well. There's a party in heaven when a sinner repents, the Bible tells us. But there's a clue in our reading. Have a look at John chapter 2 again. Because listen to verse 11. It says this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. The first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. You see, this is one of the signs in John's gospel. Uh, There's quite a few of them. They're uh, they're coming up on here. I think there's there's seven signs on the screen. There we go. Uh, The first is changing water into wine. Then Jesus, uh, later on, heals the royal official's son. He heals a paralytic. paralytic. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals a man born blind. And in the end, he raises Lazarus, a dead man. Now, you look at all of those and you think, well, there's some really compassionate things that Jesus has done there. Healing those really poorly people, even raising a dead man. All well, there's really powerful things like walking on water. And you kind of think to yourself, isn't this one just a little bit weird, a little bit frivolous, if you like, compared to the rest? Water into wine? What's going on there? Well, let's dig a little bit deeper, because you probably don't need me to tell you about signs and their purpose. A sign is there to point you to something. It's not the real thing. So, for example, you wouldn't go to the M1 and take a photo of the sign that says London and say, I had a really lovely weekend in London. Here's a photo to prove it. It's all about the destination. The sign in itself is just a little glimpse, if you like, of what the destination might be. But I think there are two different types of sign. And, and this might be a bit of a rubbish illustration, but um, I want you to think of service station signs. If ever you've driven down the M1 or something like that, you've got the, the one type of sign that says services, 16 miles. That's all it tells you. So you know there's going to be services in 16 miles. But what about the other ones when you're about a mile away? And then it says services, welcome break. You discover whether it's got a, a McDonald's or a KFC. And that's when you decide if you're going to come off at that junction or if you're going to go on to the next one. might even have M&S Simply Food. Who knows? But, but there are some signs that give you more about the destination, that sense of what the destination really is like when you get there. And this is the kind of sign that I think John is talking about here He's like giving us a picture of actually what Jesus is like and what Jesus does and what Jesus will do. What Jesus is like and what Jesus will do. So verse 11, it says again, This is the first sign that Jesus uh, did, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Turning water into wine is the first sign that shows people who Jesus really is and the disciples believed in him. Now, as I say, that might be quite surprising because it feels that, a little bit like a, a strange trick. As I say, the other ones might show us, well, Jesus, he's really loving and compassionate. You go, right, he's worth following. But this one seems a bit strange. But what is it that this particular sign tells us about Jesus? Jesus. Well, let's recap. Uh, Jesus is at a wedding and the he's there with his family, he's there with his disciples and the bridegroom has made a massive error. He's not got enough wine in for the whole celebration. The whole celebration, I'm told, could last for days. And um, And the bridegroom's job was basically to be the host. He was the person that was hosting the entire wedding. Now, when I got married, um, and, and when people get married generally now, the blokes just turn up. I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing a few smiling, nodding faces. Yes, that's what I did. I just turned up and, uh, and and enjoyed the day. Everybody else seems to be the people that are running around and organizing it. But no, in that day, it was the bridegroom's responsibility to organize it and to host it. He was in charge he, he was the person that everybody looked to and you see he had one job this man and he failed a big mistake a major embarrassment awaits him doesn't it the wines run out what are we going to do we can't run down to the nearest off license but jesus mother steps in doesn't she you see, verse, uh, verse 3, when the wine had gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they've got no more wine. Clearly she had some idea that Jesus could do something at this stage. Even though there's no record of any miracles, she thinks, oh, they've got no wine, Jesus could do something. But his response in verse 4 is really strange. He says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. It feels like Jesus is kind of brushing off his mum a little bit. It's nothing to do with me. It's not my hour. Well, that's a weird, weird in itself, isn't it? An hour. And again, I guess as we just drill down into this little word hour for a couple of minutes, that will help us to understand the bigger sign. What is it about the hour? Well, throughout the Gospel of John, when it talks about an hour, it talks about the climax. It's like the final hour of Jesus' ministry. It's all about the moment when Jesus fully demonstrates his glory. It's everything that it's been pointing towards. Because if you notice, all of these signs that appear here, John 2, John 4, John 5, John 6, John 9, John 11, they're actually in the first half of John's gospel. John has 21 chapters. But in chapter 12, listen to what Jesus says. He says this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Do you see? All those signs are leading up to a point. And that's probably over about two years of Jesus' ministry. And then the next nine chapters after Jesus says, my hour has come, is a week. The hour is the climax of Jesus' ministry. It's what the signs are leading up to. It's what the signs are pointing to. So when Jesus is speaking to his mother saying, He's saying, my time hasn't come yet. I've got a plan with my heavenly father that I'm building up towards, which is much greater than this. But in the meantime, let me show you something that will show you what that will do. So the signs point to the reality of what Jesus is here to do (laughs) and what he will achieve. And there are three things that I want to draw out from this passage. Jesus is all you need to make you clean. Jesus Christ is all you need to make you clean. Three things for us all to hear, I think. Jesus turns his attention, doesn't he, to six water jars. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Ceremonial washing. Well, Jesus says, fill them to the top. And dip a glass in and take it to the head waiter to drink. Just pause a little bit there. It, it, it's like the equivalent of the baptism pool. Jesus uh, Jesus was stood here and he, ah, uh, oh, there's a baptism pool over there. Fill it to the top. Put a cup in and take it to the head waiter. That's a bit of a weird thing to do, isn't it? You'd slightly be uh, concerned. It's, isn't that a bit grim? People have been in there. But when he tries it, he's blown away. You see, when the servant goes over, the water has become wine. And that's a miracle. But remember, it isn't a party trick, it's a sign. There's a deeper significance. The water wasn't drinking water, it was cleaning water. It isn't even just wash your hands before you eat cleaning water. It was you go into this water and you are completely cleansed. It's about purification, not just getting rid of germs. It was religious cleaning, not hygienic cleaning. Purification is all about being completely clean of wrongdoing. And what does Jesus do? He takes cleaning water and he turns it into wine. Wine to drink. Now if any of you have been Christians for a while, you'll know that there's a special meal that Christians enjoy called the Lord's Supper. Jesus talks about it himself. He talks in terms of the meal of bread and wine. The bread being the body, the wine being his blood that makes you clean so wine points to Jesus blood and Jesus blood the Bible tells us is what cleanses us from our sin what makes us clean it says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all our sin it also says at the end of the Bible in Revelation 7 About the saints who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They make us clean. Wine points to Jesus' blood, which is his death, which points to our cleansing. The water of the old system could only really cleanse the outside. But instead, Jesus' blood can cleanse our consciences. To the very core of who we are. And in this sign, Jesus says that we're not made clean by doing religious things. No, we're made clean by drinking his blood. Not literally, of course. But trusting in his death that that's enough to make us pure before God. Now, it might be that you've been a Christian a while and this is familiar territory. But can I tell you, I need to be reminded of this all the time. I suspect you guys do too. If you're feeling, and for all of us, if we're feeling burdened by sin, it might be that uh, the shame from the past that you've never really dealt with. It could be guilt that you carry currently for whatever reason. Jesus invites us to confess our sins knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We were singing about that in Ignite last week. Come to Jesus, bring your shame, bring your guilt and be cleansed. Be clean by the washing of his blood. We're going to be singing a song in just a few minutes time saying this, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. But when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight that Jesus Christ is all you need to be clean, then we'll know we're not perfect, but we'll try and do all sorts of other things to make ourselves perfect or to feel as if we are, to justify ourselves. We'll work harder doing good works. We'll compare ourselves to others and go, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. You ever done that? I have. If you're burdened by your sin, then those things will do no good to you whatsoever. You'll just feel worse about yourself. Now, instead, come to Jesus. Maybe come back to Jesus because Jesus Christ is all you need to be clean. That's the first part of the sign. The second part of the sign it tells us is that Jesus Christ is all you need to live wisely or to be wise in how you live. Jesus Christ is all you need to live wisely. Now, what do you make of the servants? I, I'm, I'm really, sort of, I'm intrigued by the different characters in this, uh, in this story. The servants, what do you make of them? So it's their job to essentially get the man out of the problem. So he's made this error. There's no wine. And the servants are told by Jesus over here, who they might not have met. Go and take some of that water over there and give it to the master of the banquet. How, how do you think they felt? Like, seriously, how? Their, their jobs are potentially on the line here because you've got the master of the banquet and, and, and they give him some water that's come out of a jar for, for, for cleaning, your, cleaning your body. He's like, is this some kind of practical joke? Do you think this is funny? You, you've, got, you've got the bridegroom here who's embarrassed. I'm trying to sort it out and you're bringing me water? I just imagine that. Like you, you, let's face it. Very few of us would have the, the guts to do that. Because it's foolish, isn't it? It's beyond foolish to do that. They knew where the water had been taken from. You see, my guess is that when you have friends over for tea, what you do is you go to the effort of Making sure that everything's right, don't you? you? You kind of put some effort into the food that you're going to eat. You make sure it's good. And when it comes to, to drinks, you offer tea or coffee. You don't go into the bathroom and fill a bucket in, bring it in. Of course you don't. So why is that appropriate at a wedding? It's foolishness, it's craziness. Their jobs are on the line and yet they do what Jesus says. And what happens? Have a look at verse 9. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The servants knew where that water had come from, where that wine had come from. And they witnessed something absolutely amazing. Why? Because all they did was do what Jesus said. They just did what he asked and what was happened was down to him so then I thought about me and how this impacts on us you see living in a Christian as a Christian in this world often looks really weird and foolish and difficult it's not easy far from it Christian morals and ethics well the world looks at them and goes really Sure, there are some ideas that they can latch on to. Love your neighbour, care for the poor, those kind of things. But what about loving your enemies? Praying for your enemies? Forgiving others? Being self-controlled? Particularly when it comes to drinking or sex and marriage and relationships. But the reality is this. What Jesus says is true wisdom. All we need to live wisely is to listen to Jesus instructions yes it looks foolish to others but actually the reality is very different the wonderful story of any Christian is that we've realized that living by the world's priorities isn't wise it might be that and we were talking about Helen talked about it didn't she that the drive to work and work and work and work loads of people do that. But in the end, where does it get them? It doesn't bring the security and the satisfaction and the peace that we long for. But following Jesus does. And it was brilliant to hear that. Both Helen and Jane said this to us. Following Jesus is all we need to know the security and satisfaction and peace that people long for to live wisely And the crazy thing again is this, it's difficult to tell people that good news. (laughs) It's a message which the Bible admits is weak and foolishness in the world's eyes, but we, we struggle to share it. And you might be sort of new to Christian things or looking into Christian things and you think it's a bit weird, you've got this good news and you find it difficult to tell people, but it's true. I think the problem is this, when we stop listening to Jesus we become less convinced that the gospel is true and good. Or when we stop listening to Jesus, we think we have to convince others of the truth of the gospel. I think this, I'm convinced that we deprive ourselves of the chance to see God at work in miraculous ways because we think we need to produce the miracles ourselves. Because we think we need to convince others to become Christians. We don't. It was wonderful hearing Jane talk about 18 years Of just seeing how a church family operates normally, and that being a great witness to the truth of the gospel. Nobody kind of did anything especially extraordinary, but actually, authentic Christian living, living wisely with the power of the Spirit that God has, produces miracles like today. Isn't that wonderful? We can't convince somebody to become a Christian, but Jesus can. He's the one that does the miracle. He's the one is all we need. And then finally, Jesus Christ is all you need to bring you joy. We thought about the, the kind of situation, the, 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 the cleansing. We've thought about the um, servants. Finally, I want to think about the bridegroom. He's the host of the wedding. He's the one who's got the job, verse 10, to provide the wine he, he knows that he's failed. We know he failed. And what he was unable to do himself, well, Jesus takes over and he becomes the host. And this is the final part of the sign. Jesus' first miracle is actually that he becomes host of a banquet. He takes over. And, and this is quite important to realise that this links to a promise God made 600 years even before this to a bunch of people who themselves were failures, They'd stopped worshipping God, they'd become like everybody else in the world, and in the middle, God makes a promise. It's coming up on the screen. It's from Isaiah chapter uh, 24. No, 25, sorry. It says this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich feast for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And at this wedding in Cana of Galilee, Jesus says, yes, I'm here. Enjoy the feast. At the wedding banquet in Cana, we see a sign that Jesus is bringing in this kind of experience for the people of God. It wasn't completely fulfilled on that day, but the Bible finishes, do you know, with Jesus depicted as what? A bridegroom. At the end of the Bible, Jesus is the one who hosts the party. A party which is even greater than this wedding banquet. Why? Because it's a party with all peoples invited. Was anybody here invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee? No. Is anybody here invited to the wedding that Jesus hosts? Yes. All of us are. It's a wedding, it's a feast for all peoples. The best of meats, the finest of wines, no more tears. You see, the bridegroom failed, much as... Anything that we go after in this world will ultimately fail us. These things like family and success and career and all of those things, they can have moments of joy, great moments to savour, but they will always come up short, just like that bridegroom did on the wedding in Cana. So Helen, Jane, all of us here, Jane said this, I don't have all the answers or know all the books of the Bible. Don't worry, because you have Jesus and he is all you need. Jesus is all you need. But as I want to finish, the last thing I want to say is that that's just a bit weak. Jesus is all you need. Well, actually, I think this sign shows us a bit more. It shows us that Jesus is all you could ever want. Because that is a wonderful truth of this sign. 800 bottles of the finest wine. Just imagine that baptistry full of of the best wine you've ever tasted. That is a party. Okay? That is a party. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying it's not just... That I'm enough for you. It's that I fulfill your wildest dreams and then some. If you had a choice of which party to go to. Would you go to Jesus' party or would you go to a party hosted by some other bridegroom that fails? You go to Jesus' party, right? Jesus' party is by far the best. That's what the first people saw when they realized Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, people looked at Jesus and went, I want to go to his party. And at the end of John's gospel, what John writes is, well, he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Basically what John is doing is he's saying, I've written an entire book, which is an invitation for you to find life in Jesus. An invitation to work out if for you, do you think this party is the best party to go to? And the reality is that, If you don't yet know that, well, why don't you look into it? Chat to me, chat to Ian, chat to Helen, chat to Jane or somebody else afterwards and say, look, can I just find out a bit more about this party? Find out a bit more about this Jesus? I kind of wanted to finish with these words, um, but I've got another paragraph. But Jane said these words, which were just absolutely brilliant. She said, I wanted what you had. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just this? What have we got? Well, we've got nothing apart from Jesus. And Jane said, that's what I want. But it may be that this afternoon we're kind of thinking, well... I've lost that sense of joy. Myself, I've been a Christian for a long time and now Christianity is just something I do. The simple thing is this, come back to Jesus. Don't lose sight of the glory of Jesus. Don't become engulfed in a sin that looks for glory elsewhere. No, be surprised by Jesus once more. Be delighted by Jesus once more. Because Jesus Christ is gloriously overwhelmingly abundantly providing for everything you need today tomorrow and into eternity so do you want to be at his party let's pause to reflect I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing the final song in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you uh, that you came on earth in order to be everything that we need. Uh, You came in order to make us clean before you. You came in order to show us how to live. And you came in order to bring us great joy. Lord, please, Revive our hearts once more that we might look to you for all of those things and not look elsewhere. And please uh, captivate our hearts that we treat you as our greatest delight. Uh, And please strengthen and equip Helen and Jane as they continue to live for you. Uh, But all of us, please, would you help us to be those who say, yes, I am a Christian And to be a Christian is to know the greatest person, the greatest thing in all creation. And to have a hope which is found in Christ alone. We pray it for your glory and our joy. Amen. Well, let's stand and let's sing.